Welcome to the first ever podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy Balm. It's Tim Casher Day. Tim Casher is a singer-songwriter responsible for most notably Cursive and The Good Life, but also releases solo albums and has been in bands like Commander Venus with Connor Roberts of Bright Eyes when they were both children. <laughs> They're very, very young. Um, we get into that. We get into a lot of different things. Uh, this conversation was a total thrill for me because that Omaha scene had a huge influence and effect on me. Uh, they're some of the most important albums of my late teens and early twenties. So, uh, and so many of those records still absolutely resonate with me today. So you'll get to hear me geek with him about all that Saddle Creek knowledge stuff. Um, I'm really thankful for Tim to come for, uh, for coming on the show. Um, yeah, he lives here in LA. I've had the pleasure of getting to know him these last couple of years through mutual friends. He's really, really sweet. Um, last time I saw him, we were both at a screening of the, of John Carpenter's The Thing at the new Beverly here in LA. And um, haven't seen him since or really caught up with him since. So big thanks to him for being there and for doing this. And thank you to you for listening. This is the first ever podcast. Thank you so much for doing this with me. I really, uh, I really appreciate it. Also, happy belated birthday. I was going to wait to this podcast to say that to you. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Thanks uh, for having it me. Was Wednesday, it was Wednesday? Yes. Mm-hmm. Nice. And you were, I know you were doing, you were a part of the, uh, the Thursday webcast thing. So I'm sure that was, a, was that the same day, right? That was the same day. Yeah, it was, uh, I don't even, I don't, I don't even know why they chose uh, August 19th, the middle of the week. Um, it just was coincidentally also my birthday. It's like, well, that's great. It's my birthday. So that's a fun thing to celebrate. Uh, I mean, maybe, Maybe there's something savvy to midweek that people are busier on weekends. I don't know, but nobody's busy. <laughs> no one's yeah, ever exactly. busy anymore. <laughs> I was going to say, I feel, I feel like right now, Wednesday could, could easily be a Friday or a Saturday. <laughs> like, I, I don't I know. No one knows what day it is anymore. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so this, uh, this whole podcast is about first experiences. So, uh, you know, a lot, of, a lot of the questions I like to, to just have be very, you know, sort of straightforward. So, um, uh, uh, obviously you're from omaha unless i'm wrong about that obviously you were born and raised in omaha no nope, yeah mm-hmm. okay cool yeah. so it's funny my uh my mom was from uh norfolk i don't know if we ever talked about that i don't think we have but she she grew up she grew up yeah there? she's yeah born and raised there cool. uh she moved to she moved from there to la in like uh the in the like early 80s so i was born out here but um i went back there a few times during my childhood huh and uh only went into omaha once or twice but um i have you know a lot of memories of norfolk which is uh yeah it's like well it's like an hour and a half outside of omaha something like that my uh something like that my my country my country friend who lives out here in la he's from a small town called pierce uh which is i think a little north of norfolk and uh but he likes to joke that us okay our running gag is that I'm from the big city because that's the way Nebraskans are. But <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of it, it is kind of true though because it's like I don't know when you live in Omaha you don't need to know the rest of Nebraska, but uh, the rest of Nebraska knows knows their state. <laughs> but I don't know. Yeah, Norfolk is like somewhere. Yeah, it's like it's super. Nor- I remember uh, I, I went back there uh, after my mom had passed, and I went we like buried her ashes there and stuff like that, and and just like you know we spent time in Omaha. Mm. And, uh, then did the drive up there and, um, yeah, just, you know, my memories of it from being a kid to my memories of it or like, you know, experiencing it as a, as a full grown adult was just, it's very wild. You know, it's like, there's a church, 
there's a uh, McDonald's <laughs> and uh, another church. Yeah. You know, it's like a very, very small town. It can kind of blow your mind how many churches they can pack into such small towns. It's true truthfully it's like how are you breaking up this congregation yeah seriously it's it's, it's, uh, it's, it's really crazy um but yeah so like growing up in omaha what was your first experiences with music um as in like what was the first music that connected with you as a as a young person uh well uh i mean there's yeah i just like could go i'll I'll try and do each one quickly and go back real far and just be uh you know like laying on the laying on the carpet at my mom and dad's feet listening to simon and garfunkel uh could shoot forward to um listening to go-go's and bruce springsteen with my older brothers and sisters and like listening to violent femmes and the cure um through my older brother by the time we're in high school uh we started uh you know we picked up instruments started playing and uh and still being, you know, growing up in the middle of kind of, you know, essentially the middle of nowhere, uh, there just wasn't, we didn't know, we didn't have access to uh, a local scene. We didn't know there was a local, I mean, I didn't know a local scene existed. Uh, so we wrote some songs, but we played, we, you know, we had a band called March Hairs and we did mostly cover songs to play, uh, to play homecomings and things like that, uh, to make money so we could record our originals. Uh, and that was even the fact that we were writing our own songs seemed, uh, there wasn't, a, there weren't many people doing that. There were some, there was another band, a couple other bands that were older than us in high school that I guess I could offer as some influence. Uh, but anyway, getting to the local scene you have a you have a pretty big family right i think i read you have uh, you're one you're like one six kids yeah is that, mm-hmm. is that yeah i'm the youngest the right number yeah i'm the youngest of six wow wow yeah. so yeah you had a you had the older the older sibling hookup with finding cool music at a young age it's especially i, I uh, really did yeah that's such a blessing it truly is yeah um so so that first band was the, it was, yeah, the, the Marchers. And that's what turned into Slow Down Virginia, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, cool. So if you're, pl- you know, you're playing homecomings and things like that, uh, when you went in, like, what was, what was the, uh, what was the first, like, recording experience for you? Oh, uh, it was great. We, we still remember it pretty well. There was, uh, I, it, in the yellow pages, there was, uh, and shoot, I wish I could remember the name of this studio, but it was this guy, mm-hmm. this would have been in Bali, like 1989 or so, 1990, I suppose. Uh, and he, this guy had a pretty bitchin' studio in his the basement of his home, and he had an ad in the yellow pages, I think he had an ad in the Omaha World Herald, <laughs> and so we just, you know... <laughs> That's how we, I mean, we literally looked up recording studio and I don't remember what it was, how much it was an hour. Definitely very affordable. One, because we were young teenagers and two, because it was Omaha. Yeah. Uh, But yeah, it was great. It was so cool. We went in and it really was, you know, despite saying that it is in this guy's basement. I mean, it was still very professional. It was fun. He had a little, his, he had a little uh, record, you know, booth had a few booths and it was a blast and I couldn't even believe it. I something that you or I like something that you can never really, you can only kind of experience once is that magical excitement 
of hearing back something you recorded, <laughs> you know? Oh, yeah. Like how exciting that is. Uh, I have some great memories of leaving studios and putting a cassette into the tape player in the car and being listening to me like, whoa, we're listening to something that we wrote and recorded on the radio, you know? Oh, for sure. Yeah, no, it's a, that's an absolute magical experience. Um, uh, do, do you remember going in like really nervous or do you remember yourself being uh, just like excited about the whole process? Uh, yeah, I remember being quite excited. Uh, the nerves, were, I think, had more to do with, uh, you know, that that's kind of goofy feeling that we probably many of us probably still experience from time to time where you feel like you're supposed to know what you're you have to act like you know what you're doing oh sure <laughs> <But> yeah <laughs> even though we're you know if we're like 15 years old it was okay if we didn't know what we we're doing but you just kind of want to you know be a you know be professional try to try to come off as professional or something and but we were totally out of our element but the guy was really kind Okay, yeah, I was gonna say that helps. Uh, I feel like you you get dealt two hands in that situation. You either get um, the really kind producer who understands that you're a young band and is there to fulfill this, you know, this uh, this exciting experience for these people, or you get like the grouchy guy that just yeah. chain smokes cigarettes and you know couldn't <laughs> mm-hmm. be bothered. So it sounds like you had a positive experience. Yeah, no, he was confused. He probably he was probably laughing his ass off whenever we left. You know. He probably loved it. Uh, I interviewed someone uh, recently who told me their first experience was 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 with a guy who just like took advantage of kind of their youth. Where it's like you know if they they were recording and they they messed up and they like were like ah oh, fuck they're like well I'm gonna leave that on the tape unless you go buy me lunch. Oh my like, god! I'm gonna leave you cussing on this. Holy, <laughs> this is oh so no. cruel. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> um, yeah, it's so horrible. Um, but uh, so I mean, we can go back just a little bit. So uh, did any of your siblings play instruments or were you the first to get a guitar and start playing? Uh, I was the first, but well, it, I was basically the first. We did have a guitar in the house because one of my older sisters had considered taking on uh, acoustic guitar as in the as in the 70s. That was very much the craze. Uh, but, but she never really learned how to play, but we did as a result, we had one laying around the house. So I, I took it on, but yeah, my, also my, I grew up, also I grew up with my grandmother and she played, she played organ. So there was a little bit of music in the house. Oh, that's awesome. Do you remember some of the first songs that you learned by chance? Uh, yeah. Uh, the first song I tried to figure out how to play was the boxer by Simon and Garfunkel. Okay. And, uh, I just, I think that guitar was near impossible to play. It was just a really a bad guitar. Uh, but, you know, you just are so determined to learn. Yeah. I just kind of fought through it. The first guitar that was in that was in my house was like, uh, it was like, you know, I, I, I could even, you know, if I looked at it right now, I'd probably be like, oh, this isn't even a real guitar. This is like a fake guitar. <laughs> like it was that bad to where yeah. like the strings were you know what in my memory were like six inches off the fretboard so you'd have to press down super hard and it would still hardly make a noise and (laughs) as a young person i had like really bad eczema so it was just like i how i ever (laughs) continued to want to try to play music is just shocking but um but yeah i think i think i think we're relating on on that on the fact of uh difficult to play yeah i had that same guitar i mean it was awful um so once uh once like that first band started playing shows um like in omaha was it you, you i mean 
I'm just going to assume is like, was it a lot of house shows or was it uh, like playing bars where you're not allowed to like stay inside because you're not 21? Like was a lot of those kind of experiences or? Yeah, we did have some of that. Uh, actually, I'm glad you brought that up because those were some of the first experiences I think we had uh, before uh, we actually. So I was talking about a local scene. There actually was a, there was and is a great local scene in Omaha, but we just weren't uh, privy to it uh, for, you know, maybe the first year or two of uh, being a band as as children. Uh, but we did uh, find a little notoriety for being that novelty young, very young band <laughs> who was writing their own songs. And so we, yeah. so we got invited to play uh, places like the Howard Street Tavern, which was a bar around at the time that was really cool uh, to us. Anyway, it was just cool in general. I mean, it was a you know, a live venue bar in downtown Omaha. Uh, and they would strike a deal with us where we would have to hang out at the front of the bar, like at the front entrance until it was our time to play. And then we could walk up and onto stage and play. And then we had to return to our spots. <laughs> it's such it's such a funny thing that uh, I, I feel like a lot of people do experience, but the ones that haven't, it's just like, like I almost kind of, I feel like everyone should experience that because it just really puts you in your place. Like, <laughs> like, like I'm here to perform, but I guess I also have to be policed at the same time about, you know, all of this. Like, uh, but yeah, I understand. No one wants to get their liquor license taken away because of a bunch of kids. But uh, yeah, it always yeah. just struck me as, as very entertaining. Yeah. Um, but uh, so, uh, so in Virginia, how many years did that last? Because you put out a CD and a cassette. I think that's correct. We did. Uh, good research, Jeremy. Uh, you know, I try. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it seemed like I was doing the way it is when you're younger. It seemed like we were doing it for years and years. But I think it was really only sure. from, I'll guess that it was from 91 to uh, maybe 94 or something like that. Got it. Got it. Loosely. That's loose. Loosely kind of what it would be, I think. Sure. And it's funny. I don't, uh, you know, I, the, the whole Saddle Creek scene played a major role in, in, um, in my life and like a lot of other people's lives. And, and I knew that, uh, the label originally was, was called Lumberjack. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I think I'd read that it had like started as like almost like a class assignment or something. And then obviously it became its own, its own actual thing. Um, but is the reason that it changed the name to Saddle Creek because of like lumberjack distribution? Yeah. Was that, mm -hmm. was that like, you got the, it. do you happen to remember? That it is, was? Yeah. Cause yeah, I was working at a, I was working at a record store in Burbank between like 2001 and 2005. And, and my main distributor was, was lumberjack. And obviously I'm, I'm assuming once, once the Saddle Creek stuff started to take up, like, you know, take off. I'm sure there was some involvement there. So I'd always wondered if they were the reason that you had to change the name. Um, so I guess that, that answers that. It, yeah. It's, and I, if, and I, somebody else could probably answer better than me, but I mean, I think if I recall, it was all very polite. It was just, we slash, and by we, I'll say, I mean, I was, I mean, I was up loosely a part of all of it, but that initial start of Lumberjack would have been like Connor's brother, Justin Oberst. And, um, and I feel like Ted Stevens, um, of Cursive in Lullaby, uh, like he had a pretty big role in that too. A lot of it, a lot of it centered around uh, releasing Connor's first cassette called water. Uh, 
but then this but then they also were the same <laughs> like it i mean it was really cool they like they collected they they did like a GoFundMe back then, <laughs> but just like from neighborhood kids yeah. to collect enough money to be able to put this to put the Slow Down Virginia CD out. It was really uh, it's really sweet. It is really and sweet. We as a as a band, Slow Down Virginia, nobody liked us. It was really a strange experience uh, for us. We would play bars and nobody would come. And but then there was you know this cool group of kids that just loved indie rock and and we knew them too you know growing up but it it was just funny uh it was so cool and they're like we want to put your cd out we're like yeah okay man (laughs) (laughs) and and now wouldn't you know it the uh the slow down virginia cd is i think on discogs for like 300 dollars. so you see that coming (laughs) (laughs) i don't think i have a copy myself i wish i did (laughs) i I know someone who will sell it to you for 300 (laughs) dollars (laughs) um damn so uh i mean yeah so that band slow down virginia stopped playing shows um and then what you know i guess when i look at the timeline i you know i know the omaha scene was like extremely incestuous where like you look at the lineups like everybody's playing on each other's records and and all of that so where in the timeline was uh cursive forming and then also commander venus happening at the same were they happening at the same time or was that just like a couple years between they were they were uh so i might botch this but sure you're fine uh <laughs> slow down virginia slow down virginia stopped and i want to say that's like roughly 94 or so which i think is the same year that direct that that cd came out i think uh and i i decided i was i decided to go to lincoln to finish um for my my last two years of college uh and part of that decision was uh, just really kind of being like, you know what? I've busted ass trying to do music. I need to just do something. I need to get serious about school and about what I'm doing with my life. You know? Sure. Uh, but uh, Matt McGinn and Steven Peterson uh, convinced me kind of well they talked me into to doing another band and they said we'll bring clint in um who clint had been clint snazzy had been playing drums with steven peterson's band which was called smash mouth at the time <laughs> I've always prior to smash mouth I've being smash always mouth thought about that. When I, whenever i've looked at the because i'm such a geek whenever i've looked at the uh you know the full discography of the label i'm always just like man i love that there was uh-huh. a band called smash mouth <laughs> yeah they're so good too oh, that's awesome uh so so you know they were just be cool and they were just so ge- generous their their point was just like why like just go to school and we can keep playing music it's fine you know and i gave it some thought and i was like yeah okay sure and but at that time i was already i was already doing commander venus um and so that wasn't really an issue to i was just like you know like i was that was already kind of like in place and so i was like yeah sure let's just keep that going and um yeah. So yeah, they. I was coming home every. I was coming home every weekend from Lincoln to Omaha, which is only forty five minutes. Um, and I was coming home every weekend to practice. I think you know with both bands. Was there was there like an adjoining scene at all between Lincoln and Omaha? Like, was there bands from Lincoln that you would like? Oh yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, whereas I guess I could only compare it to like L.A. San Diego or L.A. Orange County or something like that. You know, where like there you meet up and you play on each other's shows so so there was a scene in lincoln that was active when you were all playing shows too absolutely okay yeah yeah and i'll 
and I'll give props to Lincoln for being the college town and a lot of a lot of the music out of Lincoln was um, more art centric and you know it was like it just got weirder and darker and heavier and everything you know everything in not that we always loved everything out of Lincoln but there was a lot of cool stuff that was um that was like there was there was definitely a different a little bit of a vibe difference between Omaha and uh, Lincoln bands. Sure. Okay. Yeah. And then yeah, and Crank probably at least maybe for for your sake, what felt like uh, a little more at home because they were putting out a lot of like the early quote unquote emo stuff. Um, I remember they did like Christy Front Drive and, and some bands like that. Like was that was that experience uh, like comforting? Yeah, no, it was really surreal. I can't even thinking back now. I'm, I think that I was probably so stoked on it. I, I certainly should have been, and I'm. I mean, I know that I was, but it's weird to look back now and think about how, crank, at that time period, at that time when they picked up, uh, when they signed Cursive, that was, one of the. It was probably just like them and Discord and Merge were the, you know, like the dream labels into that and so for crank to um express interest in us was i think it was it seemed it probably seemed very much like uh fantastic so you did those first two records and then the band would it would you say a hiatus or just say just broke up for a couple of years because i know you moved to you moved away you moved to oregon i think i've read is that that's uh that's yeah, yeah. uh-huh i did i went to portland for a little bit um steven Peterson um, started law school out in uh, out of Duke in North Carolina. So did you did you end up graduating out of Lincoln? I did. Uh-huh. Oh, congratulations! What uh, what did you um, what did you take or what? Yeah, like what did uh, what did you uh, study? It's a uh, just broadly English. Uh, just but they don't have it was create it was creative writing, but they just don't have maybe they do now. At the time, they didn't have that as like an actual major. Um, so but it was just like the umbrella of English. Sure. What did you have like, cause I, you know, it's funny. I think, I think a lot of us go through what you were describing where, you know, you play music for your youth and then you, you have that, you hit that wall that is where you're like, okay, I could go this way. Or I can go this way, but I feel I'm scared to go that way completely without something to fall back on, you know? So was like teaching something that interests you. Like if that, uh, if the music wasn't working out. Yeah, absolutely. And that was kind of was, that was very much, my plan, I think, because I at that point, I was, I really loved college. And I loved, I loved writing. And I loved reading and talking about writing and reading. Sure. You know? uh, and, it, and so it all kind of seemed, knowing, recognizing that we all need jobs, it seemed if I could just, you know, remain in that realm, I could maybe find some, you know, carve out some happiness that way. And also, I was, I think I, I was feeling just some exhaust from sending demos out and never hearing anything for for too long. And it, it's, well, I wasn't even that long, but when you're younger, it, it kind of feels like an eternity, you know? Yeah, no doubt. And uh, I know this goes back a little bit, but Commander Venus did sign to a label outside of, uh, outside of Nebraska. It was <clears throat> better looking, right? Which is, were they San Diego? Uh, so, so the story is actually Commander Venus signed on with Grass Records okay. out of New York, and um, <clears throat> excuse me, which Grass then turned into Wind Up and released Creed. Oh yeah, and Evanescence. I think. <laughs> yep, yes, they sure they sure did. <clears throat> yeah. So, 
That's so if you recognize kind of how like Connor's songwriting kind of sounds like Evanescence and kind of sounds like Creed. <laughs> <laughs> it's like it all goes back to like a point. Yeah, exactly. So there's a, yeah. There's a, this is the, the genesis <laughs> um, of that sound for sure. So you so when you came back, you you know, the band starts up again. When you came back, like, did you bring a new set of influences? Um, like, did you uh, did you have like a like a direction in mind? um for when because the next record would have been domestica correct yeah i i don't remember uh i i'm sure that that i'm sure that would have been in on our minds because since we were no longer playing with steven and we're playing with ted stevens that would certainly uh necessitate or not maybe not necessitate but for me it would suggest like we should change you know change things up a little bit to um accommodate uh you know a new member right but i don't really remember what those feelings were <laughs> i can't recall <laughs> i i do know that we I, we did that record i matt and i kind of we joke because i think we did that surprisingly um kind of quick where now i'll write uh you know at least 20 songs plus another 20 that note that the band never hears there's just a ton of songs that i'll contribute for one album now um and back then Back then, Domesca is a nine song record because we had basically eight and a half songs, I think, <laughs> is like why is what that record is. We just I don't I don't know. It was who even knows. I, all I can say is that we were young and we just weren't really thinking about much else other than let's get back to it. And um, these hey, we have enough songs for a record. Let's put it out. You know, sure. And uh I might have the timeline mixed up here. Was which was the first record you did with, uh, with like the Mogus Brothers? Uh, all of them. All of them. Okay, yeah. I believe. Okay, all the Christopher records were done with them. Okay, I think so. Yeah. Um. Well, I shouldn't say all of them, but back then, uh, um, AJ Mogus, I think did Such Blinding Stars, and God, I'd hate to be if I'm. I hate to be wrong, but I'm not. I, I don't believe I am. He did Such Blinding Stars and then Storms Early Summer. And I believe AJ did Domestica in Ugly Organ. Maybe is the first one that Mike did. And that whole time, AJ's AJ's Mike's older brother. Okay. Um, they're both they're both brilliant. Uh, but Mike was kind. AJ was older and just more accelerate. He was just deeper into it and. Uh, and Mike, over those years, Mike was always um, helping and was a part of it, but he was kind of still learning, I would say. Yeah, no, oh, I understand. There's And there's something, you know, I've always felt, I, I, I have a habit of looking, you know, deep, deeper into things than I probably, is probably reality. But like, one of the things that I've always appreciated about the whole world that, uh, you know, you came from and you, you reside in and everything is that like, it's beautiful to watch everyone seemingly just grow together. You know, like I imagine from those early recordings with with AJ and, and Mike up until, I mean, you continue to work with them for the majority of Cursive's catalog aside from, uh, it was the one with Matt Bayless, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, like... Gosh, I guess that might be the only... That's the only one. That's funny. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, I noticed that and I was like, oh, that's... I mean, it's awesome. Like, so it's like you grew, you grew and you like learned and you and you probably, it was a lot of experiences of like, you know, well, what what do we wish we did differently on that last recording that we could, you know, suss out and do differently this time? Like, uh, were all those things, do you think, like, in mind or is it all just kind of coming naturally? Yeah, I, I don't know. I think I I probably should spend more time thinking about things like that. 
and uh, perhaps <laughs> or maybe or maybe you perhaps others perhaps uh, <laughs> perhaps <laughs> others do. But uh, um, I will say though that as as far as the um, I do I do really miss how healthy um, all of us growing up together and learning together. How that was it really was. I think I think it was looking back. It was incredibly beneficial. I think it was such a healthy environment for everybody to learn and improve on what they're doing. And it was great. Yeah. It's funny, you know, uh, I, being from Los Angeles where, where, uh, as you've, I mean, you've lived here long enough to know that, um, our, you know, our state flag should just, or our, <laughs> the city flag could just be the word passive aggressive. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm wondering, like, did, was there with like everything being so incestuous, did you was there ever people's feelings getting hurt that like so and so got asked to play say drums on this record, but like, you know, I thought I was playing drums on that record. Like, was there much of that, or was everybody just mm. super supportive? I'm just gonna blanket response that everyone was super re- supportive, and I'm sure there are plenty of stories, um, you know, yeah. d- that would go deeper than sure, that. Sure, yeah, but I understand. I I can't I honestly can't think of any. I mean, there was just uh, I just yeah. I think there was just it was just always fun to be asked, and you're not hurt if you're not asked. Kind of I think is the way it always seemed to me. Yeah, it was always it's always just you know I, I always as a as a teenager like I'd always just love getting whatever new record from the label, and then it's it was one of the few labels that if God I don't even know if I could think of any others where I would excitedly look at the liner notes to see who all played on the record. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. I can't think of any other label what? like that 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 really has that in um it, you know, at least for the sonically obviously jazz records and things like that everyone's playing on each other's records too, but like you know, this this scene existed in such a cool way to where like you kind of even if you're not from Omaha and you're not you don't know any of you personally, like you kind of feel like you're in on it cuz you're like, "Oh shit, I see that you know, so and so played on this and like oh man members of the faint are on this song and like blah 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 like it's just it made everyone kind of feel included in a in a very beautiful way and i don't know if anyone's ever expressed that to you but uh, i can tell you from my my experience that's how it felt no i think that's really cool i can in i think that our experiences were not were probably kind of similar too so i mean we Another thing that I I truly miss as far as um, the 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 strength of the strength of community that we had back then is how unabashedly we really loved each other's records, and uh, and I think the what's really rare is that there wasn't jealousy. We really we really supported each other and really held each other up, and I think that can almost sound corny and fake, you know, but it's like really isn't. We truly re- appreciated and respected each other's work and writing. And then we would, in the joke, each time we, any of us would do a record, the joke would be like, would the joke would be, um, holy shit, they raised the bar to that. Now we got to do a record like that. Fuck. And that was, that was, that was generally our response. Oh, that's so cool. I love that. Um, you know, I wanted to ask you because it's, it's always been one of my favorite performances. Uh, what was what was it like playing on Letterman? I, that like when like the fact that watching that performance, uh, how it included some of the members of of like the house band to just make that the big part in, uh, <laughs> uh, from the hips just so big was uh, 
was that like a day rehearsal or was that planned beforehand? Like, how did that all come to be? It was, uh, yeah, it was a day rehearsal. Uh, I, all that was, all that was so neat. It was a really, uh, cool experience. Uh, but if I recall, um, when did they ask about, oh yeah, I, they asked in, they ask in advance. They say, you know, the band will play with you if you'd like. Oh, wow. Uh, and we said, absolutely. Yeah. You know, <laughs> like, it seems it's, like how cool, but also we weren't, the way I like to see it is not so much just, um, just that it's, you know, um, you know, Paul's band, <laughs> but, uh, but that, um, but it's just, yeah, it's like fellow musicians too. You know, it's, it's, I think it's like really cool. Like there's, if somebody were to say like, oh, you're going to play this show, you're going to play a song on national TV. And there's these like sick, <laughs> you know, like killer horn players and they, and they'll like sit in with you if you want. Like, what do you, obviously you say, yeah, if you want to sit in with us, go for it. That sounds like a blast. Yeah. It seemed like a real no brainer to us, you know? I mean, I gotta say anytime, uh, <laughs> anytime a band that, you know, um, this might be too presumptive of me, but like when a band in a, I like to, I like to say band, you know, I would, I would say you're in this, I, I would put you in like, yeah, you're like in our world, you know, like a band that has punk leanings, a band that like, obviously you, you reference discord, like all this stuff, like any band that's like a part of this world that understands that stuff that gets to play on a show like Letterman or, or Conan or anything like that. Like it always just feels like a win for the team, you know? So I remember, I remember <laughs> when that was getting announced and I was just so thrilled and I just, I remember staying up and watching it and just being so just oh, excited so cool. for, for the band and just like, you know, it, it's like, it was years before you and I had ever met. And, uh, I just remember watching it just being so thrilled. It's like, oh, fuck yeah. Like they deserve this. This is awesome. That's awesome. And David Letterman made fun of us. It was so great. <laughs> it was he? so funny. <laughs> Do you remember? Well, because we had that weird title, Mama, I'm Swollen. So he just did like his like very classic Letterman. He goes, their new album, Mama, I'm Swollen. And then he just like stares into the camera <laughs> for just like one second too long. Uh, yeah, so I, uh, I interviewed uh, Andy, who sings in the band Manchester Orchestra, and talked to him a little bit about his Letterman experience. And I, and I was like, oh, did he talk about, did he, did he mention your drums to your drummer? And he's like, no, he didn't do it. Because I don't know if you've ever seen that clip. Have you watched that? uh that that classic compilation where like someone caught that like 80% of the performances end with or like as soon as the song ends, David Letterman <laughs> comes over and says, Where'd you get those drums? Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> he does seem like he like like loves the drummers for sure. That's great. Yeah, I'd be like, are those yours? It's like the funniest questions. <laughs> like but, yeah. uh, but uh we could uh we could wrap this up by by asking that the the last question which is do you remember the first time where you felt that you had accomplished or were actually doing the thing that you felt like you'd been working so hard towards right i i feel like that's a i feel like there could be different responses for um for when that experience for when that feeling might be you know right. uh actually one of them we one of them we kind of touched on um earlier as far as uh being picked up by crank mm. records yeah. um just because that would have been in aside from commander venus and stuff um is crank would have been the first time after what felt like just so many uh 
sets of demos that we kept sending out and just never getting positive responses or never actually cinching, you know, clinching a deal. Uh, and so when Crank did, I think that the elation from that and the feeling of um, potential and the feeling of possibility that could that could uh, come, you know, that could come from that, uh, you know, that's important. Um, another member, another time um, that I can think of is being out on tour, curse of being out on tour with Small Brown Bike uh, for Domestica, playing, um, uh, supporting Domestica. And we're playing super small venues, um, but they started selling out and they started, like, they started being super full and then selling out and overselling. And it was just a really weird experience and weird time in our lives to go from so many years to go from at least a decade of being fairly comfortable with nobody knowing what I do and uh, it to um, to something um, kind of like to something finally clicking with a wider audience was just crazy and surreal to us. Oh, uh, that's awesome. Well, Tim, thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate it. This was a really fun conversation. Yeah, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Well, when things get a little more normal, I'd love to uh, to grab a bite or grab a coffee or something sometime soon. Yeah, and go to New Beverly, too. <gasps> Doesn't that sound like a dream? It really does. Oh, oh man. All right, well, I'll let you get back to your day. Thank you so much. Yeah, yeah thank right. you. Take care. Well, there it is. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, if you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with your friends, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review on the Apple Podcast page to help the show just kind of get more visible to other listeners. Uh, this is a new project, as I mentioned, so I'm really grateful to be able to share these conversations going forward. So anything you can do to help spread the word is a huge, huge help. Uh, thanks again, and I'll catch you on the next episode. Thank you so much. Bye-bye.